0: You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, November 23rd. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost tea and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household tools, 2929000 sweetlandgm.com dig it. And Beneficial Biologics, locally produced organic gardening products founded in Humboldt County in 2010, offering nutrient delivery systems, striving for strong plants and garden performance distributed nationally available locally. Product information at beneficialbiologics.com Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, we have this week's water news with hydrogeologist Steve Baker. We bring you today's national Native news. Dozens of House Democrats have called on President elect Joe Biden to make New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland the first Native American cabinet secretary in U.S. history, NPR reports. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines and regional weather.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Vice President-elect Joe Biden is building out his national security team, naming a woman to head the intelligence community for the first time and tapping a close confidant as Secretary of State. More from NPR's Michelle Kellerman.
2: Biden calls his team experienced and crisis-tested. He's naming his longtime advisor, Tony Blinken, as Secretary of State and tapping a veteran diplomat, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, to another cabinet post, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. If confirmed, Alejandro Mayorkas will be the first Latino to run the Department of Homeland Security, and Avril Haines will be the first woman to serve as Director of National Intelligence. Biden will have one of the youngest national security advisors, Jake Sullivan, and he's created a new cabinet-level position within the NSC to combat climate change. That will be former Secretary of State John Kerry. Michelle and NPR News, Washington.
1: With the General Services Administration now ascertaining that Democrat Joe Biden is the apparent winner of the November 3rd election, it is telling Biden his transition can formally begin. President Trump is also appearing to direct his team to coordinate with the president-elect, though vowing to continue to fight the election results. Trump in a message on Twitter thanking GSA Administrator Emily Murphy, who he says has been, quote, threatened for not acknowledging Biden's win sooner. Trump says his administration's case strongly continues, that's despite his repeated losses in the courts and no evidence of the election fraud that Trump alleges. President-elect Biden has picked former Fed Chair Janet Yellen to be his Treasury Secretary. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports, if confirmed, she'll be the first woman to serve in that position.
3: As Treasury Secretary, Yellen will likely play a leading role trying to help Biden broker a new coronavirus relief package that, so far, Congress and the Trump administration have failed to resolve. In August, she raised concerns about the impact that expiring $600 a week extra unemployment insurance payments would have.
4: And they're ended now, and their spending was supporting jobs throughout the economy.
3: As chair of the Federal Reserve, the first woman to hold that job as well, Yellen helped guide the country out of economic turmoil following the 2007-2009 to 2009 financial crisis. Franco Ordonez...
1: NPR News. Despite all the warnings from healthcare professionals, it appears millions of Americans are heading out for the Thanksgiving holiday week. The nation's airports are crowded ahead of the holiday, with people apparently opting to take the risk they can travel safely. More than 3 million people were screened at airports Friday and Saturday, according to the Transportation Security Administration. That's the busiest stretch of travel since mid-March. Stocks gained ground on Wall Street today. The Dow was up 327 points. The Nasdaq rose 25 points. The S&P 500 closed Up 20 points today. This is NPR. Upwards of 700 nursing home workers are off the job in the Chicago area today. The workers represented by SEIU Healthcare Illinois protesting safety and working conditions at Infinity Healthcare Management Facilities. They contend the company's not done enough to guarantee them safe working conditions during the coronavirus pandemic. Nursing home workers are also asking for a wage of at least $15 an hour hazard pay and sufficient levels of personal protection equipment. China has successfully launched a robotic mission to the moon. NPR's Jeff Bromfield says the mission's goal is to take a lunar sample.
5: The mission is called Chang'e Five. Chang'e
1: is the Chinese goddess for the
5: moon. Ye Quanji is an astronomer at the University of Maryland who closely follows China's space program. Previous Chinese missions have orbited the moon and landed rovers on the surface. Chong 5 will send a small robotic lander with a drill to take rock and soil samples that will then be returned back to Earth. If
2: successful...
6: It will be the first time that we get something back from the moon in 40 years.
5: The last lunar samples were carried back by a Soviet probe in 1976. Details of the Chinese mission remain somewhat secretive, but the entire trip is expected to take around three weeks. Jeff Brumfield, NPR News, Washington.
1: It's mostly due to fewer people dining out, but demand for seafood has fallen sharply during the coronavirus pandemic, causing both imports and exports to decline. That's according to a new quarterly study out today. Consumer demand for seafood at restaurants has been off 70 percent during the pandemic. The findings were published in the scientific journal Fish and Fisheries. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This message comes from NPR sponsor 3M, who continues to expand production of the respirators frontline workers need globally and is on track to supply two billion by the end of twenty twenty. More at 3M.com slash COVID 3M Science applied to life.
0: Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight will be mostly clear with the low around thirty seven. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 56 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 36. In Sacramento tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 41. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 63 and overnight low around 44 and mostly clear skies. In Truckee tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 18 Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 46 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 20. And tonight in Angels Camp, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 37. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 57 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 38.
5: Water news with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, welcome to KVMR, Steve. Uh, Glad to be here. This last week, we had a nice watering this week across mm-hmm. the Flinders. I guess it was over two inches, maybe more, maybe up to four. Uh, this uh, really helped out with our. Fire danger status, I would assume.
3: Oh, you bet. I mean, usually our fire danger is downgraded after we receive our first two inches of rain. And by golly, we've received more than that. And I think it's closer to four inches. So because of this nice uniform saturation across the foothills, burn days have started up again. We can go ahead and get rid of all those leaves and sticks and things like that. Uh, you need to remember, though, that you always need to check to make sure it is a burn day. So check the burn day status on the day that you want to uh, burn all the debris on your, on your property. And when you do that, you need to burn between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. unless they you know, they notify you us differently with, with different uh, time periods. And, of course, also uh, only burn natural vegetation That's come down for more than three weeks, okay? It's got to be somewhat dry. And it's illegal to burn those painted and treated pieces of wood that we would just love to get rid of instead of going to the dump. But uh, just take your plastics and your plywood and so forth and take it to the dump. That's the best thing to do. To find out more about a burn day, just visit uh, myairdistrict.com. That'll get you there.
5: Well, Steve, does this mean that in the big picture we are no longer in a drought condition?
3: Well, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, almost 83 percent of California and Nevada is still in a drought. Now, out of that 83 percent, something like 36 percent plus, so a little less than half. But anyhow, those areas are extreme drought and exceptional droughts. So the big picture and the, the longer timeline says we are drying out. So yes, we are in a drought. Climate changes are knocking at our door, I'd say.
5: Okay, Steve, one response I've heard um, here in California about their California's response to climate change is that there should be a state level executive order. Uh, what is your view of that? And how has California responded?
3: Well, Governor Gavin Newsom, he, he signed an executive order. Uh, and, and this order Calls on the state's agricultural players, and they are to preserve California's biodiversity and also store and remove more carbon from the atmosphere. So it's a lofty goal, and they're hoping to reduce uh, current emissions by 30 percent in these areas of conserved lands and, and agricultural lands. It's really about implementing sustainable practices, so making like long-term changes in both our farmlands and, and conserved lands, and uh, a way that they're going to accomplish this is to minimize the conversion of these types of lands in, into urban lands. We don't, we don't want to develop those lands because that's part of the problem. But the complaint that we're hearing as a result of this executive order coming out, going out is that uh, in order to get this accomplished, you need funding. And, and he didn't provide any kind of funding for, for executing this particular uh, item. So the farmers and conservationists, they they like the idea, but they also understand that they need to remain economically and practically sound. Otherwise, they're not gonna be able to continue. They they won't be able to do this. And the president of the California Farm Bureau Federation, he kinda put it this way to his people, to his membership. He said he said, Working lands only work if people are allowed to work them. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me too. These issues
5: are always uh, appear to be problematic. Mm-hmm.
3: Can you share some stories
5: that maybe might give us a little bit of joy and happiness?
3: Oh, here? very seasonal, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a story. There was a woman. This this really happened. There was a woman in Livermore, California, and she was she was she had flushed her toity. Okay, she was flushing her toilet, and she was holding her wedding ring. And she lost hold of it. It went into the toilet, got flushed away. Okay, this is her wedding ring that had been around for quite a while. And uh, one minute she had it, the next minute it slipped out of her fingers and it was gone. So she thought, oh my gosh, her chances are non-existent at this point to ever find that again. Well, they did hire a plumber. And this plumber uh, looked with no success whatsoever. He was not. He didn't find it, and they were feeling pretty bad. So so the husband and, and, and this woman, they also contacted the city of Livermore, the wastewater treatment facility, and asked them about it. Now, the treatment facility only gets these requests maybe once every five or ten years. It's not a very common thing that happens. But anyhow, it just so happened that the Livermore crew, the— you know, was cleaning out the sewer mains with some sort of hydraulic hose in that same neighborhood after this happened. And the debris was still in a pile in one spot. And so within 30 minutes, that, that crew used a metal detector, and guess what they found? A big, shiny diamond ring. What a joyful story that is, isn't it? <laughs> so anyhow, hard to believe that it happened, but they did find the ring, and it just goes to show you, you never, ever give up.
5: That's a good one, Steve. Uh, Thank you so much, Steve. Oh, you bet. Um, Look forward to talking with you next week. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at stevebaker at operationunite.co.
7: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A judge ruled the federal government was right to allow a southeast Alaska tribe to organize a hunt out of season due to COVID-19. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, state attorneys have sued to block future hunts, arguing the special moose and deer harvest this summer was federal overreach.
6: During the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, a federally recognized tribe on Kupranoff Island was alarmed by the high price and low supply of fresh meat. The organized village of Cake petitioned the Federal Subsistence Board for a hunting party to harvest five deer and two moose out of season and distribute the meat within the community. It was greenlit in June. The state of Alaska filed suit alleging the feds had illegally preempted the state's rights to manage wildlife. Assistant Attorney General Cheryl Brooking says there are only narrow reasons for federal jurisdiction to trump state management.
3: When Alaska became a state, one of the main
8: drivers of statehood was to get control over fish and game management because the feds were making a mess of it.
6: She argued in court filings that the food security issue was never proven, and the federal government exceeded its authority in allowing the hunt. District Court Judge Sharon L. Gleason denied a preliminary injunction that would have prevented special hunts in the future. She wrote that federal officials had taken both conservation and public safety concerns into account when it reached its decision. She also noted that when federal officials reached out to state wildlife managers... They didn't respond it's not the end of the case the lawsuit will continue to move forward with both sides filing arguments before a final ruling but the upshot is that federal officials aren't blocked from authorizing out-of-season hunts in special circumstances tribal leaders in cake don't see that likely in the near future
1: you know we just got done with our moose season and our deer season so i think we're good for now
6: that's cake's tribal president joel jackson he notes the village's groceries are mainly shipped on the occasional state ferry or barge.
1: You know, if anything happens to those cranes down there where they load all the stuff coming to Alaska, we'd be in a world of hurt.
6: He says Alaska natives never voluntarily ceded their hunting and fishing rights on their traditional homeland.
1: Of course, if we are in a real bad situation, I wouldn't hesitate to just say, you know, get a hunting party together, go out and get the what we need, you know, so but I want to stay within the the law, and if we could do that, that'd be great.
6: The Native American Rights Fund has joined the lawsuit on behalf of Cake's tribe and the federal government. In a Friday statement, a staff attorney wrote, Alaska Native communities are facing hardships caused by COVID-19 and encouraged the state to treat tribes as partners, not adversaries. It's unclear if any future special hunts are being considered. Federal wildlife officials declined to comment, citing the state's litigation. I'm Jacob Resnick.
7: Tribal leaders, water protectors, and grassroots groups celebrated a new Klamath River dam removal agreement between tribe states and the dam owner. Last week, leaders of the Yurok and Karuk tribes, the states of California and Oregon, and the dam owner announced an agreement to provide additional resources and support to advance salmon restoration, which includes dam removal. A virtual celebration was held Friday, hosted by the group Save California Salmon. Participants shared stories, songs, and paid tribute to water protectors. Vice Chairman of the Yurok Tribe, Frankie Myers,
1: uh, the Moa itself, uh, and how we got here. You know, at the end of the day, you know, this was this was 20 years of work. This was water warriors, activists, climate justice coalition, and others coming together to to really push this to the to the front line
7: work continues to navigate the final regulatory approvals to allow the project to begin in 2022 with a dam removal in 2023. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
1: National Native News is produced by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
6: Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for Indigenous population. A no charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org/assessme.
1: When Deb Holland was born in 1960, Native Americans did not have the right to vote. Members of Native nations didn't have that right at the start of the country and with some exceptions didn't get it for generations. In 2018, New Mexicans elected Holland to Congress and also Sharice Davids was elected from Kansas. They became the first Native women to serve in Congress and now they've been reelected. Both joined Rachel Martin.
2: We, Deb Holland and I, it's weird, I want to call you Deb. <laughs> I'm just going to say Deb while we're talking. Um, we had the opportunity to Educate our colleagues on the particular issues that tribal people and Native communities face when it comes to access to the ballot box. And it's one of the things that I think about when I think about what a difference it makes to have different voices in the room with different lived experiences than what we've seen for so long.
9: What were those conversations like? What were the kinds of concrete examples you were trying to share with your colleagues in those rooms?
2: So, first of all, it's very, very complex having the nature of the tribal government, federal government relationship. Oftentimes, what will happen is legislation will say, and Indian tribes, or and on reservations, or something to that effect, where it's it's really just, let's go ahead and include Native communities in this, but without the recognition of how complex Hmm. that relationship is. So if the federal government says the states have the right to do something, decide who votes, decide um, the manner of voting, that has the chance of impacting tribal sovereignty.
8: One of the things that Sharice raises is the issue of tribal consultation, something that uh, Sharice and I have both pushed on is to make sure that tribes are consulted before decisions are being made. President-elect Biden in his tribal policy platform, um, tribal consultation is one of his main issues, and he's already pledged to start the tribal nation summits once again.
9: Congresswoman Holland, your name has been floated as a possible Secretary of the Interior under the Biden administration. You have said that you would take the job if offered the position. Mm -hmm. What would that job allow you to do as a public servant that you're not already able to do as a member of the US Congress?
8: I mean, first of all, it would mean a lot to Indian country, right? When Sharice and I got sworn in everybody was so happy, right? I mean, it means a lot to a group of people who have been here since time immemorial to to know that they're truly being represented. And so I think it would really change the way people see our federal government. Take, for example, the tribal consultation piece, of course. I'm the vice chair of the Natural Resources Committee. And we had an oversight hearing about this administration and how it was working to undermine tribes with respect to the border wall. And we had the chairman of the Tohono O'odham tribe as a witness who testified that he got a text message two hours ahead of time saying that they were going to be blasting apart this area of their reservation. And as it turned out, it was the area of a sacred site. And so I think just being able to listen, being able to move issues forward, bringing people to the table, I think that would make a huge difference.
9: Could I close by asking you to, if you don't mind, to just talk about the first time that the two of you were able to get in a room after you had one. In 2018 and just look at each other and acknowledge for yourselves the historic nature of your elections.
2: I would love to just share, um, I hope I can make it through it. (laughs) When I won my primary, Deb called, and I, I missed the call because I think I was in a press conference and when I listened to the voicemail, hearing Deb's voice telling me how much it means that both of us even could be serving in Congress together was one of the most like impactful messages that I could get. And I don't mean voicemail message. I mean, like knowing that the two of us have the opportunity to serve together as the first two Native women, and I think the reason for that is like I cannot imagine like being in this place where no one like us has ever been here before,
9: without Deb Holland, Congresswoman Holland. Do you do you remember making that phone call?
8: I do because I followed Charissa's campaign from the time she got in until she won. But what I'll say is we got to be in Statuary Hall when they dedicated or unveiled this beautiful statue of Chief Standing Bear. And Sharice, when you're in moments like that, Sharice always looks at you and says, can you believe we get to do this? (laughs) Can you believe that we get to be here? You know, she she'll say that. And I'm just like, I know, right? We realize that we're not here for us. We are here for the people and all of the heartache and and all of the, you know, the horrible eras of federal Indian policy that happened through the centuries. We're here to try to make a little dent in making those things right and moving us into a new era in our country where we say everyone's voice matters.
9: Representative Deb Holland and Representative Sharice Davids, thanks to both of you. Thank you so much for having us.
8: Thank you, Rachel.
4: As the Biden administration prepares to take power, advocates for working families are pressing for a national paid leave program. Today, California Congresswoman Judy Chu is holding a virtual roundtable open to the public with experts on paid leave, families and small business. One of the speakers, working mom Jessica Shemute, says her former co-workers gave her a hard time when she took 12 weeks of paid leave at full salary after the birth of her daughter, even though she had negotiated it into her contract. This should be the norm, that people are taking time and making their family a priority. This shouldn't be shameful to ask for. You shouldn't have to feel like you're gaming the system. Nationwide, most low-wage employees don't have access to paid leave. California is one of nine states to offer such a program, and it only pays 60 to 70 percent of people's weekly salary. The state deducts a portion of workers' paychecks to pay for it. The roundtable event takes place at 11 a.m. today on Facebook Live. The U.S. is the only industrialized country in the world without a national paid leave program. Bridget Shea, with a nonprofit called Paid Leave for the United States, says the issue is especially important in 2020 and beyond.
2: You know, we have record numbers of women leaving the workforce. COVID 19 cases are on the rise again. We're in an economic downturn. And so, like, the need for paid leave, paid sick days, affordable child care, and financial support for caregivers has never
10: been greater.
4: Congress is considering two bills that would address the matter. The Family Act would establish a national program offering 12 weeks of paid leave, and the HEROES Act, currently stalled in the U.S. Senate, would increase coronavirus relief and close loopholes on paid leave. For Public News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter.
10: Remember when Canada Trump promised not only to wall out all migrants crossing our Mexican border, but also to make Mexico pay for his xenophobic wall? Well, Mexico hasn't paid a peso, and won't, so he keeps running to Congress demanding that it pony up unlimited billions of our tax dollars for his pet political project. Aside from one token appropriation, however, Congress has said, hmm, no. But that's no hill for a narcissistic climber. Unable to get tax money legitimately, Trump has simply stolen it, taking money from the U.S. military budget. Ignoring the constitutional mandate that only Congress is empowered to control the flow of government money, Trump filched $6.1 billion from our military last year, snatched another $3.8 billion this month, and intends to swipe at least another $3.4 billion before the year is out. This executive reprogramming, as the White House euphemistically calls its daylight robbery, is being pulled off by masking Trump's wall obsession as a, quote, national emergency. The Pentagon brass has been yanking funds meant for the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, National Guard, and ultimately from our fighting forces. This is Jim Hightower saying, presidential autocracy aside, Trump's massive larceny raises three other interesting issues of public morality. One, his trickery sets a precedent, not only for future presidents, but also for our young people's behavior. Two, our Congress critters, especially Trump Republicans, are setting a new standard of craven meekness in the face of this direct executive assault on their authority and on our democracy. And three, By simply kissing off a budget loss of more than $13 billion, saying it's in excess of the military's needs, the Pentagon is admitting that the war machine is routinely taking way too much of the public's money. What do the corporate powers from Wall Street to Walmart have in common? They hate the Hightower Lowdown. You can see why at (music) www.hightowerlowdown.org.
0: That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's evening news airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and is produced by Emory Audio Productions. Coming up next, we bring you WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson wishing you a fabulous evening.